This is part two of NTT20 meets Chris Powell. This section is focusing on Chris's transition from a sparkling playing career into the management side of the game. We hear all about his experience at Charlton, getting the job without applying highs and, of course, some lows, and what it was like working under Roland Duchatelet, of course. And then we talk about Huddersfield Town and Southend United, where Chris spent just over a year, ending back in March, the worst injury crisis potentially ever seen in the EFL. Chris discusses just how much that impacted things at Southend this year and goes on to talk more generally about management, about the pressures, about how the game has changed since his first managerial role and about what the future might hold for him. It was such a pleasure to spend a few hours in the company of Chris Powell, such an engaging and kind man and incredibly open during this interview, for which I'm really, really appreciative and very, very grateful. So we hope that you enjoy this as much as you enjoyed part one. Make sure you check out part one if you haven't already. And yeah, let's get straight into it as I discuss the end of Chris's playing career and the transition into coaching. You, you played for a few more teams towards the end of your career. I'm, I'm quite eager to get into the managerial section. Um, but yeah, you had a spell in the championship with West Ham where you won the yeah. playoffs against, against Preston. And two spells at Charlton with Watford in between. Um, and then you finish your career at Leicester. Um, and uh, I think it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Sven ends up part of the, the Leicester story as well, right? But when you when you joined Leicester, um, was it uh, Nigel Pearson in yeah. charge of the club? Yeah, yeah. And, and at that stage, from the looks of thing, and tell me tell me if I'm wrong, it seemed like with Watford and West Ham and Charlton, it was like we need Chris's experience yeah. towards the end of his career to help some younger players to get promoted or stay yeah. in the Premier League, whatever it was. At Leicester, are you starting to think, I need to work out what to do next? How does the coaching career come out of that that period at Leicester? Well, you're quite correct in that, I mean, I've won promotion five times, three times from the Championship to the Premier League, with Charlton, Derby, West Ham. Got promoted at a League One with Leicester and Southend. So, and won promotion as a manager, I'm sure we'll get onto that. but. I think towards the end of my career, especially at Leicester, I think I found someone, a mentor in Nigel, who wanted me to help out. I signed for six months. But he recognised the value of senior players being in and around the group. He's always done that. Did it with myself. We got promoted to League One. I was going to retire. Mm. Uh, I was PFA chairman at the time, involved in sort of the administrative side of, of football. And you know, I really enjoyed that and I was maybe looking to do that and some media stuff. Um, but he called me and said, I want you to stay. I want you to stay as a player, but I want you to um, be a coach. I said, well, I've done my B like this. He said, well, you've been doing it all season. I said, no, I haven't. I've been training. He said, no, you have. And he was right. So the young fullbacks would come to me. I'd maybe spend 10, 15 minutes with them, talking, showing them stuff. But it was all unofficial. Mm. It was just me being me. <laughs> and he's um, like, that's coaching, mate. <laughs> yeah, and he, he, he did. He said, even when you're in the, in, in the dressing room, you may not be in the 18. You're still being part of 
what I'm trying to do. So he said, I want you to do it officially. And I said, oh, I need to think about it. And really, I was, I was crazy. This man was giving me my next opportunity, my next chapter. Yeah. And um, I took it. And it was great. I mean, I um, was a coach. I was still registered as a player. And I actually played five games. I mean, they were the hardest five games of my life. Um, I'm still recovering from my last one, I think. Um, it, was, it, was, it was just basically an apprenticeship in managing staff and managing a group of players and it's played out in front of me every day mm. you know I was in the staff meetings at 9.15 what we're going to do I was seeing how he was reacting to wins to losses his planning how he dealt with certain situations it was played out in front of me yeah. so that was great for me um, we got in the playoffs but sadly Nige moved on yeah. I stayed, Paolo Souza came in, I was still a coach, I was doing the 20, 21s, 23s, um, but I was still helping out the first team. Unfortunately for Paolo, who's proved himself a really good manager, he moved on, Sven came in. So like you say, it was full circle. Yeah. And when he came in with Derek Fazakali, I remember our first meeting, well actually, on the Friday, obviously Sven came in because Leicester had new owners. Uh, tie owners of each other. sadly we, we lost this year but his son called me on the Friday and said you're taking the team tomorrow with Mike Stow I said yeah um, we're, we're caretakers um, he said but we've got someone coming to watch the game his name is Sven Goran Eriksson I said yeah I've heard of him <laughs> he said he's going to be the new manager and we're going to stay and we flew out to Thailand and I met Sven at Heathrow and he said Nice to see you again, you know, eight, nine years on. He was great, Sven. He was really, really good. I think, you know, sometimes his past goes before him. A really, really astute man. Good on the training field, good with people, exceptional with people. And um, I learned a lot from him, you know, and uh, I was with him until obviously I, I branched out on my own. Yeah, so you kind of touched on it earlier moving to Charlton for your first managerial role is that something you were, you were looking for at that stage were you thinking okay if there's openings somewhere in you know in the league below or something no, no not at all not at all I was um, I was comfortable at Leicester I was learning off uh, the academy coaches Steve Beaglehole I was learning off Derek Fazakali I was learning off Sven and previously to that, of Craig Shakespeare and, and especially Nigel um, and Paolo, uh, even though he wasn't there too long. But I just felt comfortable. I was at a good club. They were on the rise. Obviously, new investors who you could tell straight away they were going to be good owners and respectful of the club, of the city, of the people. I really enjoyed it. I thought there was a good chance of, of, of doing something with Sven. Um, but then I just got this phone call out of the blue. I remember it clearly um, from uh, someone at Charlton. He said, we'd like to interview you. We've got new owners coming in. I said, have you spoken to Leicester? I want to make sure that Sven knows. They said, we have. So within, I think I got the phone call at maybe seven, eight o'clock on a Wednesday. Um, 
I went into Leicester in the morning, spoke to Sven, he said, I really don't want you to go, but you know, you're ready for it. I think he could be good at it. Um, I travelled down, got interviewed in Regent's Park, and with the on a bench. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should clarify. It was near Regent's Park. Uh, it was in some very big house, um, and uh, I got interviewed at about four a.m. Uh, sorry, four p.m. A couple of hours, and I was going to get on the train back up to Leicester, and they said no. We need you to stay in London. So I was walking around London, central London, waiting for this phone call. And by half past six, the phone call saying, it's you. We want you to be... So within 24 hours, I'd gone from being just a coach at Leicester, being manager of Charlton. You have that first day where it all kind of hits you. What was the first match like? Well, I, uh, I wasn't the official manager... Uh, but they knew, so I went to watch them at Sheffield Wednesday, just up the M1 from Leicester. So, uh, and I was clearing out my flat, so it was quite apt that I could go and watch them. I went in the dressing room just before the game, wished them all well. Came out, watched the game, drew two-two, two-nil up, drew two-all. Um, and then the Monday morning was, well, you know, as I said earlier, that week was a bit of a blur. But the game, Plymouth at home. Peter Reid was manager of Plymouth at the time and uh, I dressed the team and spoke from the heart really you know the night before I wrote this long Churchillian speech and, <laughs> no, it wasn't going to happen um, spoke from the heart they went out to warm up and every manager would say that's the loneliest time 2.15, 2.20 when I go to warm up you're on your own because everyone's out um, and that's why quite a few managers go out and watch and get involved in the warm-up now. Because if not, you're in your office or you're in the changing room if you're away from home, and you're not doing anything. Mm. And you start thinking and replaying the game over and over. I was in my office and there was a knock on the door and it's Peter Reid. So I said, come in, Pete. He sat down. And you can imagine I'm, I'm dead nervous at this point. You know, I've come back to Charlton and we had a good time my career there as a player but I want it to go well and he sat down and he said uh, can I have a drink poured him a glass of red wine <laughs> he's talking away and I'm thinking why is he in here is he trying to sort of unsettle me you're just being friendly yeah. you're just I suppose doing the same thing in his room thinking yeah. well why don't I just go and speak to the manager managers we are of a kindred spirit yeah. we are because yeah. we recognise all the pressures you've just being friendly and being totally normal and I've always remembered that moment that actually he was just trying to say welcome it's going to be tough we beat him 2-0 so I was, <laughs> I was really chuffed um, and that was the start of the journey yeah so uh, you have like maybe half a season or so at Charlton yeah and it was horrendous because it was horrendous because there was uh, a club that was in turmoil off the field the fans didn't connect with the team and it wasn't the Charlton I knew and enjoyed playing mm. for and actually that really helped me because I made some big decisions and at the time I said to the owner chief exec we need to change the whole way of thinking the club needs new heroes we're going to have to change the squad because a lot of them one or two of them have been in the Prem 
and are in, now in League One. Mm. And they just not performing. No. Yeah. No. So there had to be wholesale changes, and that's what we did. Yeah. So you obviously think. <coughs> Thinking a bit clearer at this stage after the initial shock <laughs> shock to the system, um, you win League One with 101 points the next season. So yeah. um, let's talk yeah. about changing the culture of a club. There's a there's a nice quote from Chris Solly, still playing for the club at the moment, saying the way Chris brought everyone together off the pitch as well as on it. You look back now and think, how did he manage to do that? So you tell me, how did he manage <laughs> to do that? That's, that's great of Chris to say, because he was actually quite integral in in, in what went on. Mm. Basically, we looked at my staff and I looked at what players we felt would survive the cull as such of that that group, and I had to make some pretty unpopular decisions. Um, but you have to do that as a manager; mm. you have to be clear. But also, the recruitment was huge and we wanted to bring in players that could embrace being under pressure in League One big Premier League stadium but also could they grow and actually organically be better players that will be worth money if we went up so that's the reason we brought in Dale Stevens, who's now starting for Brighton Royce Wiggins who very very good players Sadly, suffered from injuries. Brandy Wright Phillips, we brought in the season before. We had a goal scorer. Mm. Um, I brought in four or five players that were captains at their other clubs. Matt Taylor, who's manager of Exeter now, yep. captain of Exeter at the time. Uh, Danny Hollands, captain Bournemouth at the time. Um, and we just added players we felt and we felt would be great for us, but also could handle League One mm. and um, there were some young players we felt could grow with us, Chris Solly was one, um, there was another who we thought would be good for us, Carl Jenkinson, but we sold him after five <laughs> games to Arsenal, um, but with, we brought in a lot of players. With a young player like Chris Solly who hadn't really played for the first team before, obviously and not just Charlton but whatever club you're at. For the most part, they have a, a reserve team, a youth team, a lot of players under the age of 21 who might not have played a lot of senior football. Yeah. Um, you know, from a fan's point of view, you you always want one or two coming through, but yeah. it's not always it's not always that easy. So, how do you decide? You know, based on what you've seen in training, I suppose, and reserve team games, that one out of 10 or 12 of them is is ready. Um, how do you sort of select that one? How do you decide? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to risk my own, you know, <laughs> my own short-term results possibly yeah. uh, to give this young player a chance. In many ways, being at Charlton was quite easy because they had a history of putting in young players. So there was always patience at Charlton, always with the crowd, especially. Um, and every manager, and it wasn't too many over the years, but curbs. And when he was manager, would forever put in young players because they knew that was a positive way to go. Why invest in it if you're not good to actually put players in the team? Yeah. And at my interview, I said, I understand it. I've been a player there. I've been alongside Paul Konchesky, who was the young left back. I know he's going to play. Scott Parker. I know they're going to come through and play. So I will do the same. And I think every manager since 
they're still doing it. Yeah, they're still, still doing it because yeah. it's part of the DNA. So the coaches at academy level know that they've got to produce the players, but they know they're going to be. They will get the chance. They're going to get a chance, and they're going to be seen. They're going to train with the first team group, and there's all those little things. The temperament of a young player coming into the first team environment is vital. Will he be ready? What do we have to do to make him ready? Um, and I did that with with, with Chris especially, um, but we did it with you know one or two other players. Um, Scott Wagstaff had already been in the the, the team um, and came through. We brought in non-league players, but the most important thing for me was the environment. I had to create a different environment, a different culture. So straight away that pre-season, that summer. We had the players in very early, 16 at the time, 23 over the course of the season with loans. But we said, this is the way we're going to play, this is what we're going to do, we're going to have to reconnect, so leave that with me because I've played for this, this club before, I know what the fans want, if we give that to them, they'll be with us, I say, I know what this club's like when it's on its way. You, know, you can see it a little bit with Lee Bowyer now, yeah. just on their way a little bit. They can get themselves into the championship. You can push on, which we did at the time. So um, we played a certain way, but we were missing one player. So we started off the season well, um, but we were missing a sort of X-factor player. And all through that pre-season, I wasn't sure on certain players that were thrown my way. Um, and then just before the end of sort of the window. I said, I think I've got a player, and I said, he's a bit moody, um, but I said, technically he'd be great. I said, will he come to League One? He's in the Championship at Leicester, uh, he's had a tough time there, but I said, if we can just get him right, he'd be a hero, and that was Jan Kermigan, and he was brilliant. I mean, I, I don't tend to single out players at my clubs, because I like to treat them all equally, but I've got to say, he was a cherry, he yeah. really was. What the club needed with the backdrop of what we already had Johnny Jackson was a captain scored goals from midfield Bradley Wright Phillips would always score goals um, we had a great spine with Stevens, Holland Morrison Taylor later on uh, Leon Court Ben Hamer in goal flanked by two very small but creative fullbacks in uh, Wiggins and Solly um, but he was the one who just brought us up another level and uh, I had to persuade him and basically said to him look you love you'll love living in London it'll be a different experience from your Leicester one which wasn't great for you mm. and uh, he stayed got the team or part of the getting us up 101 points as you say um, we smashed club records all over the place and then we stayed in the championship as well and just missed out on the playoffs yeah fantastic player come again and you mentioned <coughs> Johnny Jackson as well he's a, a good friend of the pod actually he's been on the podcast I know he listens on his drive to training um, and, um, and, and he was a, a, a key player there it must be nice to see him in the dugout alongside yeah. Lee Bowyer maintaining that connection that that, that club kind of needs I, I yeah guess. it's important for a club like Charlton because of what they've been for over the years I think it's important for the supporters you know, I don't want to talk about what's gone on off the field, but it's important that they see someone 
that they can identify with and that was the reason I made him captain. Over those six months I recognised that he was quite a vital cog um, with, the, with the supporters and uh, I gave him that responsibility and he flourished, mm. he loved it and uh, he really embraced it. Um, so much so that you know he is a, a, a bit of a cult hero there. Yeah. Like you say, he's now gone on the coaching side. We still talk regularly. I remember him saying, "I want to go into it." I said, "Go into it. You're ready. You can do it. I, c- I can see it, and you can do it." Um, and uh, we'll have a lot of banter about. He's an Arsenal fan. I'm a Spurs <laughs> fan, and we had a lot of connection. He played for Spurs and all that, but he was vital. Uh, his leadership. Um, in the dressing room and his connection with everyone really helped me, it took a load off me um, where I could concentrate on the group and on the team and he helped enhance our environment um, you know we had a, a, a trip away um, the pre-season, he was part of what brought us together you know and um, I would never underestimate what he did but also the role that you know my staff played and the players in general, you know, they handled it really, really well. And um, really, for me, it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. The, the, the new ownership came in, I think, in uh, 20, the beginning of 2014. Um, I know you don't want to touch on it too much, but <laughs> no, you, you're, clearly, you're clearly on such a high as a club and, and doing really well. Establish yourself first season in the Championship really well. Yeah. I guess from an outsider's point of view, and, and, and reading back to that time, it kind of feels like that I have the image of almost like a dark cloud sort of going over the club and just just bringing the mood down. Um, how, how did that essentially affect you in your role as manager? How, how did it? How we, did it? We struggled that year because um, at the end of our first season in the Championship, we finished ninth. And we were tantalisingly close to the playoffs. I mean, looking back, we were really close. And we only added three transfers. But then I kind of knew something wasn't right with the ownership then. And he, you know, I'll put it on record, he wanted me to get rid of Bradley Wright Phillips, he wanted me to get rid of quite a few players I said no they're due new deals you know we've, we've got this club right where we want it we've got the crowd where we want it they'll, they'll stick with us let's, let's push on we ended up releasing players that we shouldn't have got released never brought in any players apart from real sort of cheap uh, loans and frees it was the beginning of the end he didn't have the money the old owner didn't have the money and we struggled really struggled, had a good run in the FA Cup, got to the quarterfinals, but we struggled in the league. He was desperate to come out. There was some months we uh, nearly never got paid, we got paid late. I mean, it was uproar, it was sort of the beginning of the end. Mm. But he said, I'll, I'll sell it on, I'll move it on to good owners. But basically, he needed the return on his money. He got it, left. New owner came in, and from my first meeting, bang, I thought, not going to happen, not going to work. Um, he basically disregarded everything we had done, uh, didn't want to know about the players that were there. It was basically a vehicle to bring in players from the other clubs, 
to come to England to play and I, I just said don't disrespect the championship mm. or English football in general it is tough you've got to adapt you've got to understand sort of the nuances of of what happens playing on a Saturday Tuesday and traveling and getting back at three in the morning it's tough mm. and um, sadly you know after saying you're gonna be the manager and whatever and it comes with the territory new new owners take over tends to mean new manager yeah. and um, I remember the farce of arguing with him at the training ground driving to the ground and having this big sort of press conference and he's saying yeah he's my manager and I'm thinking literally 20 minutes ago we were arguing mm. and um, you know as, as always you lose the battle uh, fortunately they stayed up uh, that year but then sadly went down and um, you know it hasn't been the same for, for a number of years yeah really frustrating to see that yeah. nothing's changed because clearly it's a real breakdown at, at, at yeah. the club of course yeah. and that, that's that's nothing new. That's something that, that I think everyone recognises. Um, well, I think you've got to commend Lee for coming through it at the minute. Yeah, how it is, you know, and uh, all power to him that uh, he's been able to to do that and hopefully get them back in the championship. Yeah, Johnny always says when he's asked about it on the radio, you know, we we, we are just so focused on on what we can do uh, with the group of players that we have, mm. and, and you know, there, there's always from the media, there's always people wanting to wanting you to tell them that it's massively affecting everything and and sometimes it does and it sometimes does, yeah. you see teams are able to, to, to put it to one side so yeah. I, I guess it's I don't, I don't really know how that how that works how sometimes it can be so destructive but then there are times maybe with a maybe with a group of players or, or maybe mm. there's a bit less involvement in interference maybe yeah. at this stage and, yeah. and and they are able to, to do a bit more of a job um, sure. let's talk about uh, about your stint at Huddersfield yeah. following on from Charlton um, September 2014 to November 2015 yeah, you, got the job, again. <laughs> you got the job um, very early in the season didn't you yeah. uh, that, that strikes me as a, a fairly unideal situation to walk in off you know yeah. you haven't had the pre-season yeah. but you got the whole season ahead yeah it was a bit, a bit bizarre how it all transpired um, they lost the first game to Bournemouth at home 4-0 and I think Mark Robbins, who's done great at Coventry, um, and someone I know well, basically said, I've taken the club as far as I can after the first game. So they had, uh, I think the staff there took on the job for a while. I got interviewed with you know, three or four other candidates, got the job. But actually, as you quite rightly said, it's a real tricky time to go in because... Um, You've missed the window. I actually, when I got the job, I had to decide on getting a centre-back. They were desperate for a centre-back. And they proposed two to me. And I chose Mark Hudson, who's there now, who became captain. So I think I chose the right one. I knew about his character, etc. But um, it was tricky because I'd seen the squad, but until you get to know him, and you're getting to know them while you're playing games. It's not an easy task. Mm. Um, and then, then it transpired that actually quite a few players had to move on. I had to move. Uh, I had to use them. Um, contractually, they were on really, really good money. 
that had to come down. So in the midst of all this, the team were in the bottom three when I went in or, or fourth from bottom. And at the time it was, we've got to stay up, it'd be a disaster if we go down. So in amongst all that, had to find a way of playing, had to move some players on. I think I moved eight players on, um, out on loan and on freeze. And I think I only bought in four, um, all on freeze, no money, because it had to come down. And we stayed up quite comfortably in the end. But that summer, recruitment-wise, we weren't really able to build on it. It, it needed... It's a bit confusing as someone who, who's been following the leagues yeah. at this stage pretty closely and obviously knowing what happened um, under David Wagner mm. who replaced you uh, and with Stuart Webber who was, who was there yeah. um, when you were there to see the for difference only a short while for only a short while yeah. but w was that summer uh, was Stuart Webber in, in the no. club at that time oh he no. wasn't okay because no. I was going to say if you look at the who came in in uh, was it 15-16 compared to 16-17 the summer yeah it makes sense that it wasn't the same person overseeing it because it's right. complete chalk and cheese isn't it so yeah. is it, that must have been so, so was it you know how, how was that recruitment process that summer what, what well, was it there wasn't really one you know because we lost I lost Cody I lost Butterfield for a lot of money because um, the club needed the money and um, we didn't we didn't buy anyone a couple of young players um, but basically again it was freeze what have you and that was a club a bit similar to Charlton that needed a real big revamp which obviously David Wagner got the following yeah, summer yeah. because I think he came in mm. after myself and said needs a change yeah. and I've been saying it all along it needs yeah. a change now listen it's up to clubs who they want to make the change with and obviously David did brilliantly um, you know and spoke to Dean congratulate them when they got promoted but it needed to change and they felt it was needed in a different direction mm. and that, that's how it goes you know so it was disappointing because I actually really liked the club and liked the area I, I, I settled um, <laughs> long way from home but uh, it was fine it's a good club terrific support um, they're very open with you Yorkshire fans people yeah. but it was a great place to live but you know, they made the change, and obviously history tells you that uh, it was a real positive change. Yeah. What did you make of the few months that you did work with Stuart Webber? He's clearly very, very much. I don't know if "in the news" is the right phrase, but after after the the Wagner promotion with Huddersfield, and then a move to Norwich, and yeah. what's happened there over the last eighteen months. So we spoke earlier about the sporting director role and, yeah. and that sort of structure. Was that the first time you'd had? Uh, yeah. or at least even if it was only for a few months some idea of that what was it like working with him he's, he's very driven as you can see um, it didn't end well at Huddersfield for him but you can't argue what he did in his role there and what he's doing now in his role at, at Norwich um, I think he knows the role um, and has grown into the role and it's a structure that quite clearly works, you know. That uh, you know, we, we were talking about it earlier. It, it quite clearly works, and and will be implemented. I feel a lot more. But um, 
you know, you, you have to make tough decisions in that role. You know, I think people think it's easy and you make tough decisions as a manager, but you do as a chief exec, you do as an owner, you do as a sporting director, sometimes to people that you work well with. Um, and you've got to accept that. Um, so, no, he was fine. It was very early in sort of his first role yeah. as doing it. And it was very early for me. But now, a few years on, I recognise that actually that role is here to stay. Mm. Uh, your next club was South End, mm. <clears throat> uh, and you returned to the club uh, that you played and you really established yourself as a player at the beginning of your career. Turned there in January of last season and started really, really well. Um, yeah, well. I read I read a stat and I can't claim it that uh, after you took over in January, uh, the club got 32 points, which is more than every League One side that didn't win promotion, uh, bar, bar one, bar Plymouth. So yeah. fifth best in the league, essentially, in that period. Yeah. Um, what a fantastic first few months that was, uh, having come in mid-season. We were flying. Um, I went in and uh, everyone was a bit on the floor. Um, so I knew I had to make a bit of an impact, make things very simple for everyone because we needed points. Um, so we just had a real straightforward basic way of playing, um, what to do in possession, what to do out of possession, very straightforward what most managers will do but it's almost crisis management when you go in sort of the end of January and everyone's a bit nervous about it might, might not go our way. Um, and the squad came together. Um, what helped us, I suppose, was started off well, got a great result in the first game, and it just gave everyone a bit of belief. And it does, results do that, they really do. And confidence just edged up a bit. Uh, the crowd believed in the boys, and um, I played some young players, which helped. Mm. Um, the other thing that helped us was didn't have too many injuries so if the team were playing well I didn't have to change much so it was basically more of the same more of the same they were in a good place um, every now and then I would have to change a player uh, whether that was uh, tactically or, or for a slight knock but nothing changed and that helped because everyone understood their roles um, and knew what it meant and uh, yeah it worked it worked really well good bit of experience in that team as well um, guys who are still there like like Cox um, who, yeah. who's, who's such a fantastic player at that level yeah. and, and much more than just the goal scorer that I remember him being yeah. um, eight, eight nine years ago um, but often this season it, it felt like he was you know the goal scorer but also fantastic link player and a real creator yeah um, how did you head into the season? How was the summer? Uh, it was definitely ourselves doing our predictions. I think we were thinking playoff push. I imagine <laughs> when, when you know, when the stat that I just read out, how well you played the second yeah. half of the last season. It's difficult not to have those sorts of those sorts of expectations heading in. Obviously, yeah. at that stage, you can't predict you're going to have the worst injury crisis <laughs> that the EFL has ever seen. So, yeah. you know, what was the summer like? Well, it was buoyant, as you say. Um, I think. The run we had maybe made everyone feel, well, this is going to be our year, um, where I knew basically it was, we've got to stay in this league and then we can go from there. The club is driven and the owner is driven by trying to 
get them the new stadium, which I've been trying to get for years. It will galvanise and change the whole area, no doubt about it. But I felt, okay, let's see if we can do something. Quietly, I was thinking we can be in the top half, top ten, um, sort of turn of the year, um, then we might have a chance. But, you know, it's so unforgiving, League One, that you've just got to be a bit careful. So we started off the season okay, then we started to really motor, had an unbeaten run. Hopper was scoring goals, Coca was left back, we had a real balanced team, um, we had two styles of play, um, the, the 4-4-2, 4-4-1-1, Cox would drop, drop in, uh, I always wanted to get two strikers on the pitch if I could, or we'd play 3-5-2, or 3-4-1-2, Cox would be in behind two strikers, which was Robinson and Hopper, and it worked brilliantly. I think we were about 9th in October, November and we started to get the knocks. So we lost Coker, we lost Hopper, two big players in the side and all of a sudden players started to just get knocks from nowhere. I mean it was just unreal, unreal. Um, I mean I sit back here now and think virtually every player got an injury. Um, over the course of the season mm. and I knew that if we I mean there were long term injuries so even someone like young Harry Cipriani would fill in at left back snapped his Achilles with no one around him at Wimbledon yeah. and you just felt something's not right you know Dimitri hurt his knee it's a goal scoring fullback assist maker um, at the level very very good and I just felt something's not right, you know, we just couldn't get that consistency in the makeup of the team. And then of course, and you're forever changing the team, players aren't getting the confidence they want. Um, turn of the year, January, I, you know, I said to the owner, I think we need to just bolster it a bit. <coughs> we managed to get Stephen Humphreys in, mm. scored two goals on his debut away at Bradford, we win 4-0, I'm thinking, right, great. He gets the most horrendous injury I think I've ever seen. Really? 15 fractures in his cheekbone and eye. I mean, and that was scoring a goal away at Accrington. Yeah. And did you have to see his? <coughs> did you have to see the injury? Was it just like? It was. It's, it's it was basically awful. A, a broken face, right? Yeah. 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 It was awful. It was awful. Concussion, broke his eye socket, cheekbone, nose, 15 fractures. I mean. Where does that come from? Mm. And it just ebbed away at the group. It really did. They were trying. They were, they were a great bunch. No, they should be nowhere near the bottom four. Nowhere near. But they were because they were low. They were low in confidence. Couldn't see a way out. Um, I had three strikers lined up in January. Ended up not getting any of them. Ended up losing Phil Robinson to mm. Swindon. And then... If we ever had an injury, it tended to be up front. Yeah. So at some games, I mean, I was wrapping Simon Cox up, saying, don't train, even though he wanted to train, because he so said, we've got no one else, or we've got the young boys. Um, I had Harry Bunn, who knows the level, but he kept getting knocks, unfortunately, for him. And uh, we started to really struggle. And I think the game that really did us was not losing to Wimbledon at home even though it was a bad result it was Blackpool away oh right 
It was first the game day with all they the fans. came back, yeah. yeah. And we dealt with the situation brilliantly as a group. Went one nil up, one all, went two one up, and they equalised in the 95th minute. It was an own goal, yeah. and the ref blew up because all the fans came on. The ref blew up, and that felt like a defeat. And I've, I actually remember thinking, if we come back from this, we've done well. Mm. You know, we've done well. And uh, it started to really sort of ebb away at everyone, at me being the manager and trying to keep them, keep them perked up. But it was tough. Do you have to yeah. try? You, you're a very, a very positive person. Do, yeah. do you try? You're obviously trying to build them up, trying to motivate. Do you try the other side? Do you try a bit of Jim Smith? <laughs> you know, just to just to see. You try both, yeah. yeah. You try both because you want a reaction. And yeah, there were games where I was coming in and going ballistic. You can't do that all the time. Mm. But they were uh, they were a bunch that needed confidence. They needed that support. You know, in the main, they needed that because of the makeup of the group. Um, but again, it was still hard to get responses. We were getting good results, chanting away, um, going down to 10 men, you know, after half an hour and getting a one-all draw there, which was brilliant. We could have won it in the end. Mm. Portsmouth 3-0 down after 20 minutes at home live on TV. You're thinking this could be five or six. Drew three all. Yeah, could have won it. I mean, it was a great game. So it was still there. Yeah. And their belief and their support in me and vice versa was still there uh, and I know that because of the day I left which I'll, I'll get on to but you know ultimately you're in the business where they've got to stay up and it was I could kind of see it coming um, it was hard it was really hard at the time strategy and you can argue that it changed whatever but ultimately people have to make decisions they might panic they might not and they felt it was the right decision to do. But what were the happened, circumstances of of you leaving? Were you were you were you expecting it? Were you sort of? I mean, a, I, I hope I, I hope the um, hope you don't mind me saying we were we were down to do this interview. Um, that's right. That, yeah. that week actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, that's there, right. there, I think there had been a defeat on the weekend. Yeah. And it, I remember thinking. I want Chris at his best, and yeah. he, he's going through. I mean, the, it, not just Southend's form, but that relegation battle with twelve teams within yeah. eight points of each other, it with was, eight games to go. I mean, you couldn't you just couldn't relax. Brutal. Yeah. You couldn't relax. Unlike the year before, as we ebbed up the table and inched up, I could see we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. But this year was was tough, and the week before we played Peterborough. Um, Met the owner, myself and the staff, and I thought we need to pick up. We lost at Peterborough, a good side. Um, and on the Monday, I tried to change it. I said, you know what, I'm going to do a different week. And I gave the players the Monday off. But then I met the owner. He said, oh, we need to meet. And I thought, everyone's off. Met him, we agreed that uh, it wasn't going to happen. So I told the staff. And I came in on the Tuesday, players didn't know. And I met all the players. And uh, I just said to them, just prove me right. I said, because I've told everyone, you're not a bottom four team. So just prove me right. You know, and I, I need you to do that. And uh, shook everyone's hand, you know, because I think 
think everyone thought I would just leave on a Monday night. I said, no, I've got to thank everyone for their support and what they did for me. Um, I thanked all the staff at the training ground and the main ground. I went in, saw them all. Um, But I said to them, prove me right. And then bar one, bar two players, I got a text from everyone. Um, Not that they didn't like me. I think they just didn't think about doing it yeah. but every single one texted me and thanked me and I, that that was really touching for me because I didn't want to just just leave as if that wasn't part of my life at the time and um, it was great to see him stay up I think you know I don't know if you've seen it I sent a tweet I'm, I don't send many tweets and I don't but I sent a tweet after they stayed up and a lot of people appreciate that and I said well why wouldn't I want them to stay up because yeah. I was there and I wanted them to stay up so yeah. it doesn't change because I'm not there it's just that um, I know what it meant to, to everyone connected with that club so. and it was clear yeah. from you know from everyone whether they were South End fans or fans of another League One club or people like us trying to make sense of that relegation battle that you know that that that, that injury crisis yeah. was by far and away the you know the the, the sort of deciding factor. So yeah. the the relief to have stayed up must be amazing because it, it, it just would have I imagine would have felt so unfair yeah. for the club. Yeah. And they I, I remember them I remember reading a statement the club put out about the injury crisis, trying to explain to the fans yeah. what it means having twenty thousand pounds a week worth of your wage bill just constantly cool. unavailable and yeah. um, you know that sort of thing. Yes, of course, all teams do get injuries, but yeah. just not I think to that every extent. manager deals with situations, and you, sometimes it's very ad hoc, and you have to think on your feet. You know, you have a team, and then on the Friday, someone pulls out, and you have to right, do I go with him or do I go a different way? But it was constant. Mm. Uh, I can't explain to you how constant it was. You know, the the physio, I felt for him. He'd come up and he'd say, "Gaffer lost another one." I said, "All right, what, was it a couple of weeks? No, nine months." And I'm like. Yeah, but we've got we've got three of those already. Yeah. There's your fourth one, and you and you know at the level you can't just you don't carry a big squad because you can't. You can financially you can't do that. And the club was supportive. You know the owner was supportive in saying you know we can't keep paying out money. But I said we're going to have to do something. Um, and hopefully if one or two of those players come through before the end of the season, which Stephen Humphreys did, yeah. scoring the the, the goal that. Uh, got the three points against Sunderland you know it would have been a disaster the only tinge of regret for me is next year once they're all fit Coker uh, Hopper um, Humphreys because you know he wasn't completely over his injury they're going to be a force you know Hopper and Humphreys and Cox up front you're going to score goals you really are and that's uh, that's something that uh, you know, I know they'll do next year, and I hope they do. And we kind of touched on it earlier, but in terms of your current situation and mm. crucially your ambitions, motivations, short-term objectives, you know, how are you going to spend the summer, and and what's next, essentially? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I I'm going to stay in this game, you know, no doubt about it. And whether that's a managerial role, a coaching role whether it's in uh, administration, I'm staying in this game. Uh, it's what I love, it's what I do, it's what I enjoy. You know, media is media. There's lots of outlets and lots of opportunities, um, but I think you have to commit yourself and say, that's my role now. 
Um, that might happen, but I kind of see myself out there on the grass. Trying to get on our terms. See, that's exactly it, you know, and, and, and that's why I think it's very crucial now for me at this stage that I say, do I go for another job in the game? Um, don't walk away from it. It's what you do. It's what you enjoy. Um, and you know, I'll see what opportunities come. You know, as a manager, you never know. It's quite funny when I speak to people and they say to me, "Well, there's a job there." There's someone. I oh, said, so "No, there's someone in that job there." I don't understand that. You have to actually wait. It's not like any other opportunity where you think there's a role to advertise it. You go for it. Mm it's sadly through someone's demise yeah. that you go in which is a real odd way of thinking but it's just how the game is I'd like to um, I enjoy the game I enjoy watching it you know I've, I've, I've been out uh, since March I've watched so many games I've been to the Tottenham Stadium I've been to watch QPR Bolton I've been to watch uh, uh, Charlton Scunthorpe I've been to sort of all levels mm. uh, I've been to National League you know and I can't get enough of the game yeah. that's for certain so we'll see what, what comes next whether it's whatever level it's at if it's right for me I just want a bit more longevity now I yeah. think I owe that to myself that I need a bit more longevity because I think you can build and grow as a person grow as a team grow as a club um, and you grow in the role you know I had that chance and I'd like to have that longevity again in terms of, of football management certainly keeping your options open but in terms of I think it's probably uh, eight or nine years since you started at, at Charlton got your yeah. first you know proper manage, managers gig how do you think of what is important being a football manager now that maybe you've picked up over, over your three stints is it man management is it tactics yeah. of course all of it but but you know what do you think's the what's what's your management style I guess is, is, is what I'm it's asking a, it's a good question because I think you I think the biggest thing you've got to have is so much resilience in the role because it can come at you from all angles it can come at you from players from their agents from supporters from owners you've got to have some real resilience and belief in what you're doing whether it's right or wrong, you got to have belief that at that time, your decision you feel is right. I've got a, a very open style. Um, I think every player will tell you, yeah, there, there, there will always be one or two incidents, but I care about them. I care about their well-being, which is very important nowadays, and it, it's a quite uh, it's topical that their well-being as players day in day out has to be right um, you have to encourage them and motivate them at league one level definitely um, I don't know what it's like at the Premier League managing because obviously it's slightly different because financially they're fine but Championship League One League Two no doubt about it you have to find ways and means of having a group together that enjoy not only the matches but the style of play and their day-to-day -day work and feel that they're being dealt with fairly. Um, that can be tough because there's outside influences now. Um, I always say to players, do not 
read social media. It's one of my stipulations. But I know it's in one ear and out the other because it's almost part of them now mm-hmm. that they have to tweet and have Instagram. My issue with that is, can you handle the negativity? Because mentally, some people can't take it. And I'm sure there's many players that are affected by it and look at it and think, right, the fans think that, so I should do that. No doubt about it. What the fans think is hugely important to a club, to an extent, uh, because they pay their money, they come in, they want to see their team. But I think sometimes you've just got to separate yourself a little bit and say, what is my role in the team? What is my responsibility? Can I do it, first and foremost, consistently? And in turn, that will get me in the team, playing well, in front of the fans, it's like a spot. It, it, it spirals, mm. and um, I won't ever change the person I am. In that, you know, I want people to have a fair crack. I want um, people from all backgrounds to be involved in the game. You know, that obviously that's naturally part of who I am, and it's been part of my personality, mm. and that will carry on. In what capacity? We'll have to wait and see. Lastly, and you've 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 hinted at it there. You are known and have been, I think, through playing career and, and through management career as the nicest man oh, in football. I didn't want you to say. It. <laughs> I thought I was going to get through it, but go on, Ali. Yeah. How does that nickname sit with you? I'm genuinely interested because, of course, it, it reflects very well on you. It does. But you talk yeah. about the resilience needed as as a manager, and mm. can that be over? You know. Is there times where you think you're underestimating me, even though it sounds weird because it's clearly a positive thing, yeah. that nickname, the nicest man in football, but I can understand why it might sometimes make you go, well, try me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great point. Uh, I don't mind it. I really don't mind it because I'm very open with people. Um, I enjoy whether it's doing media stuff whether it's meeting supporters whether it's meeting uh, going into schools I want them to see my personality and what I am and what I'm like you don't just change because you think other people should see that but there are times where you have to stick up for yourself you have to stick up for your team um, and you have to have that mental toughness that can be in there and you don't show it every day you know, and I think I'm like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't have progressed in my career if I was just being constantly tripped over or I'd roll over for people. That's not me. Mm. I will fight my corner for sure. And um, you know, that I did that as a player. I've certainly done that as a manager, and uh, I'll continue doing that until. The day I retire, I suppose. Yeah, well, thank you so much for speaking to us and best of luck. We look forward to seeing what comes next. Speak to you soon, Ali. Thank you.